You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Mighty God, pray that you would humble sinners and exalt the Savior by the power and grace of your Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Amen. Uh, about a decade ago, I was participating in a wedding um, that was being presided over by a pastor from a, a very progressive Presbyterian background. And uh, she asked me where I was attending seminary, and I told her where. It's a cons- historically conservative Presbyterian seminary. She gave me a scowl of disdain. She said, why there? <laughs> I told her I liked the curriculum. I like the, you know, the biblical studies, the systematic theology, and the emphasis on biblical languages. And she said to me passive-aggressively, well, I think we should keep it simple. Love God, love people. <laughs> Which is kind of hilarious, you know. Love God, love people. <laughs> what a great term to be passive-aggressive with. So in, in principle, it is simple. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, God sums up the law as, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus reaffirms this in the New Testament. Love God, love people. But in reality, the execution of loving God and loving people, it's just not that simple. And it's just not that easy. In fact, it's, incredible dif- it's incredibly difficult and impossible without the intervention of the Holy Spirit in the gospel. I have gone to Six Flags uh, with our church youth group 24 times in the last 17 years. And a uh, hallmark of Six Flags is you can see dozens of youth groups that have printed out t-shirts just for the trip to Six Flags. Good use of budget dollars. Uh, Inevitably, there is at least one youth group with a neon shirt, and on the back it says, love God, love people. And I want to search the park, hunt down that youth pastor, put my hands on their shoulder, refrain from shaking them, and say, it's just not that easy. It's not that simple. As sinners, it is so unnatural for us to love God and to love people. What is natural for us is to serve ourselves um, and to resist God. And so when we look at Paul's characteristics of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient. Is it easy to be patient with your children on a long road trip? Love is kind. Is it easy to be kind to people who routinely criticize you? Love does not envy. Is it easy to not be envious of people who seem to have a perfect life on Instagram? Love is not irritable. Is it easy to not be irritable with the Southwest Airlines gate agent after your flight has been canceled and you're exhausted? You get the picture. I could go on and on. To become the kind of Christians who love God and love people cannot just happen through a little reminder and a catchy slogan. It takes the miraculous intervention of God Almighty. By his grace, the Lord God must completely change our hearts from the inside out and make us new. On the end of John 21, Jesus asked Peter repeatedly, do you love me? And he says, feed my sheep. And then he says, follow me. And so in essence, Jesus is giving direction 
to the disciples here at the very end of the Gospel of John. The directive is love God and love people. Now, this is the end of the Gospel of John, and so this is the culmination of Jesus' ministry to Peter and to the disciples. And John 21 is a snapshot of the ministry that God, that Jesus has been doing in their lives throughout his whole, his whole time. And so the final directive that he gives is essentially love God and love people. And so today, in three parts, I want to explore the question, how does God transform us into people who have a better chance to love God and to love people. Those three parts are transformation in ordinary life, transformation in relationship with Jesus, and transformation in failure. And I want the point to be clear, that we cannot make ourselves into loving people by will and by effort. But the Lord can transform us through his sovereign grace and work. So first... Transformation in ordinary life. Now, several disciples were hanging out by the Sea of Tiberias when Peter says that he thinks they should go fishing. Now, this is not recreational fishing. This is not, let's step by the Bass Pro Shop, let's get a case, let's head out to Logan Martin. This was their job. This was their trade. They were fishermen. So this was more ordinary life than a weekend jaunt with your buddies. But... Jesus comes to them in their ordinary lives. He sees them, he advises them, he blesses them, and they bring in a once-in-a-lifetime haul. But here's the key detail found in verse 4. It says, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus is giving them direction, he's blessing them, he is at work, and yet they have no idea that God is moving in their lives. And this is consistent with how Jesus first called the disciples back in John chapter 1. They were going about their everyday business in Galilee, and Jesus called them to follow him. And they had a sense that Jesus was the Messiah, but they had absolutely no idea the magnitude of that moment and the magnitude of what God would go on to do in their lives. And so as it pertains to our lives and our transformation into loving people, understand that God transforms us. In his sovereign grace, he does a work on our hearts and to our hearts that he initiates. In the ordinary moments of our lives, sitting in traffic, doing your taxes, waiting in line in the DMV, changing diapers, having setbacks, random conversations on the street or on an airplane, Jesus shows up. In an invisible yet powerful way, he does his work to our hearts when we are totally unaware. Jesus is changing you into a more gracious and compassionate person, even if you're not aware of it. Now, many of us are familiar with the famous verse from Romans 8.28. In all things, God works for the good, for those who love the Lord and have been called according to his purpose. Very often, the way that we define good is being more comfortable and being more successful and prosperous. But in reality, the good refers to being transformed into a person who is more like Christ and a person who glorifies God. And so Paul says that in all things, God is faithfully sanctifying us. Now, a phrase that many people use in a season of renewal is, I'm going to take time to work on myself. 
And if this is a, a phrase that you've used or that you've heard, I, I would encourage you to reframe it. And instead to say, I'm going to take time to let God work on me. And in fact, that is the prayerful refrain, a good prayer for every day. God, do your work on me. Do your work to me. Now, we absolutely need to read our Bibles and to pray and to attend Sunday worship, to take sacrament and be in Christian community. But all of these are resources that open us up to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work on us through his grace. And so if you're not a Christian, I think this is one of the most hopeful and relieving aspects of living your life in relationship with Jesus. The burden of becoming a more loving person fundamentally falls on God, not on you. Certainly, we repent from sin, we open ourselves up to the work of God, but at the end of the day, God transforms us. So we can see that God is at work in our ordinary lives. And our second point, we're going to observe that it's in personal relationship that Jesus does his work. So notice how intimate, personal, and natural the relational interactions are here in John 21. It's dear friends enjoying a meal around a campfire. Verse 9, when the disciples get out of the boat, they see Jesus has prepared a campfire. On the campfire, he has already started preparing fish and bread for them. Now think about how thoughtful and intentional this is. Jesus makes this sweet invitation in verse 12. He says, come have breakfast with me. He's saying, I've already got bread. I've already got fish prepared for you. I've already got the fire going. Take your fish, put, a, put them on the fire for seconds. And so don't you expect that this invitation is like the invitation of a southern grandmother who has baked cookies, knowing that you're coming over to her house that afternoon. And then they all sit around the fire, and they probably talk about life. And this was the nature of Jesus' ministry to the disciples. They followed him around as he preached in Palestine, on long walks, on boat rides, while they were setting up camp, while they were having meals. Jesus cared for his disciples, and he shared his wisdom and his truth and the normal ins and outs of a personal relationship. God transforms our lives in the context of personal relationship with Jesus. Praying while you're driving to school or sitting in traffic, reading scripture or a devotional over breakfast, listening to a sermon while you're on a walk or on a jog, personal relationship is where Jesus does his work. It's worth noting that in the first half of this text, the word revealed is used three different times. In that relationship, and they observe Jesus' words and his actions and his life, Jesus was revealing who he is, and thereby he is revealing who God the Father is. Seeing God transforms us. In 1 John chapter 3, John says that when we see him, we will be like him. And so this is why the Bible is so essential and is the center of a personal relationship with Jesus. Because that is where God reveals himself to us. The more we see who Jesus is, the more we become like Christ. And so we can see that we're transformed in ordinary life. We're transformed in personal relationship. But the last place of transformation is probably the most impactful. And that is point three, transformation in failure. The climactic moment of John 21 occurs when Jesus repeatedly asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? 
And in verse 17, after Jesus has already asked twice, he asked Peter if he loves him a third time. And John writes, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? So why was Peter grieved? Was it because Jesus had to ask him three times to be convinced that Peter actually loved him? No, three times. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times he turned his back on him before the cock crowed. Jesus is standing there before Jesus, and he's essentially communicating, I know what you did. I know that you denied me. I know that you betrayed me. As I predicted you would, Jesus knows, and now Peter knows that Jesus knows. But in spite of this knowledge of, Jesus's, of Peter's failure and of his betrayal and denial, Jesus is still standing there. He has cooked a meal for Peter and invited him to breakfast. And Jesus still wants to use Peter. And this is the Christian gospel. God knows our most rotten, dirty deeds. And because of the cross, he still stays in relationship with us. He still wants us. He still wants to use us. He wants us on his team. And so Jesus says to Peter, feed my, feed my sheep, love my people, follow me. And it's as if Jesus is putting his hand on Peter's shoulder. And he's saying, Peter, now you know just how sinful you are. But now you know just how loved you are. And as a product of that, you're now ready to truly love my people. Because now you will do it out of humility. And you will do it relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you really want to be a loving person, it is going to oftentimes be painful and humiliating because you cannot grow into a loving person without having to own and see and take accountability for where you're selfish and you're harsh and you're petty and hard-hearted. Two things are critical in this journey of becoming a loving person, and one is reading your Bible. As Scripture paints the picture of what true love looks like, the Holy Spirit often convicts us that we're not like that and shows us that we need Jesus to transform our heart. And secondly, we need loving friends and Christian community who have permission to speak into our lives. If you want to grow into a loving person, you have to have people who will kindly call you out for where you're selfish and inconsiderate and harsh. So Jesus is that friend for Peter. And we can see that Peter grows. Jesus tells Peter that when he is old, he will stretch out his hands and people will carry him where he does not want to go. Peter ultimately will be crucified for the sake of Christ. He will grow in his love for Jesus to the point where formerly he had denied Christ. But he'll grow to a place where his love for Christ is so great that he will be willing to be sacrificed for the Lord. I have a friend um, who owns a very small business and he recently told a remarkable story. Uh, he has an employee dying from stomach cancer who lives 50 miles away from his hometown. So the employee called him and told him that he had run out of colostomy bags. And the employee asked my friend, his boss, to please buy him some colostomy bags and bring them to his house because he had no one else to do it for him and he was too tired to even get out of bed. And so on the way there, my friend was listening to an audio class about corporate board governance. My friend was a high flyer when he was young. He 
was accepted into an Ivy League school. He went to one of the top universities in the country on a full scholarship. He finished at the top of his class. He was the editor of the Law Review. And when he was in his 20s, he said that he expected one day he would be on multiple corporate boards of directors. But life had not gone in that direction. Uh, there had been a number of failures and disappointments. There had been a big mistake and the loss of a job. He worked for a failed company, and in the midst of this, he had become a follower of Jesus. And so as he was driving 50 miles to deliver the colostomy bags, he was listening to these tapes on board governance. And he thought to himself with a twinge of disappointment and regret, you know, I thought when I was younger that I would be an elite lawyer and on corporate boards, and here I am delivering colostomy bags. And then the Holy Spirit hit him. And the same thought came to his mind, but this time with a sense of gratitude and a sense of hope. He said, here I am. I've been changed by Christ, and I am the kind of person who drives 50 miles without a thought to an employee to deliver colostomy bags. This is the supernatural work of God. In this life, we will never be close to perfect. We will never outrun the, deep, the depth of our sin. But Jesus, not cliche t-shirts and not human effort, Jesus can make us into people who better love God and other people. And the first step of this is realizing, internalizing, and enjoying the nature of God's love for us through Christ, that he loves us at our worst. And the more that we receive and enjoy this love, the more that we will become people who love like Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you glorify yourself in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.